Welcome to the New Point Community Church Podcast. This message is part of our series, Life is Complicated, We Can Help. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you continue to realize and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. Hey, New Point, can you believe it? I am so thrilled and excited. My heart is full today. And I want to give a big welcome to all of those who are joining us from Cambridge and from Millersburg and from Coshocton and Worcester and Canton and Dover and all of you who are joining us online. Listen, I want you to know I am so thankful for each and every one of you. It's been a long, long journey. And to be able to regather at all of our campuses is just a great, great thrill for me. And I'm thankful for each of you, for your patience, for your prayers, for your resilience, all of that. And for each of you being a a huge, huge player in leading people to realize and reach their full potential in Jesus Christ. I just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. I am trusting and believing God for an incredible year as we work together. Now let's jump into today's lesson. You know, one of the things that Jesus would teach, he would give principles and he would teach truth that often would seem counterintuitive. And that's one of the reasons why we have a tendency to choose to be a fan instead of a follower. You see, one of those things that I have learned is this, and it's that when it feels familiar, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's my truth, or what feels uncomfortable isn't necessarily untrustworthy. You see, we often tend to believe something that feels natural or that is familiar or is normal, and we think that that's the correct option to choose. And maybe choosing something else other than the correct option feels a little bit uncomfortable or counterintuitive, meaning that our intuition or our gut is telling us that it's wrong. And so what happens is many times we can end up favoring the voice that tells us to do what is familiar and what is strong. And yet that voice sometimes suggests anything other than what is really best for you and me because it feels threatening. You see, what you and I need to realize is this. Despite the tendency to favor our intuition or even our gut, there are times when being counterintuitive will produce the outcome that you and I want. You've probably experienced that at some time or another. I know I have. It didn't feel right. It didn't seem right, but I did it because I knew it was right and I got the outcome that I wanted. You see, counterintuitive, Contrary to intuition or your gut or common sense is nevertheless true. And Jesus taught that over and over and over and over again. He would say things that I'm sure would bother the disciples and everyone hearing them because it was counterintuitive, like love your enemies. Does that seem natural? No. How about pray for those who persecute you? Or how about this one? If someone strikes you, turn your other cheek as well. Or if you want to save your life, you must lose your life. You see, none of those, none of those seem to go well with us. They're counterintuitive. And the list could go on and on and on and on. And yet what we end up learning is this. 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we have to deal with this counterintuitiveness that we have to learn to be able to embrace, even though sometimes it's not comfortable. Now, Matthew records an encounter that Jesus had with the disciples, and he was telling them some truths and giving them some principles that were counterintuitive to them. It wasn't easy for them to accept or embrace or receive, and yet it was going to be the key to them being a follower of his message and of his mission. And here's what Matthew records. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then listen to this. Then he, referring to Jesus, asked him, but who do you say that I am? He wanted to know what they were thinking. And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Wow, he got it right. He got it right. And I'm sure everybody else was a little bit in the fog. And then Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Say what? Build what? Your church? What's that? And he says, all the hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you what? Whatever you bind or whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden or bound in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I'm sure that they were saying, what's going on here? What are you talking about? Building a church. But the church there, the word is ecclesia, which means legislative assembly or selected one. It wasn't a religious term that maybe you and I are familiar with. It was a political or government term that is used many times in the classic Greek for a group of people who had been summoned to gather and to be able to deal with the affairs or rule over the affairs of a city. And so for Jesus, this meant he was giving them power and he was giving them authority in his kingdom. And all the forces of hell were not going to be able to stop them was not going to be able to limit them, that there was no power of darkness that was going to thwart their work because Jesus was going to build his church. He was going to build a group of people, and he was going to give them the keys, symbols of authority and power. And guess what? All of the powers of hell will not conquer it. Their minds had to be spinning and thinking, what is he meaning by this? What is he talking about? Because let me ask you a question today. When you look at the church today, what is it that you see? Do you see an unstoppable force? Or would you say, you know what, Dwight, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And what we have to understand is this. The solution, as always, is not intuitive to your nature or my nature. You see, God's intention for the church is that you and I would be the hope of the world, living and teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and, and for you to think in the natural would be, little old me? Yeah, 
Little old you, you're the church, I'm the church, and we are to be the hope of the world. We are to be the beacon of hope and life for the world. And so he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. So don't allow fear, don't allow worry, don't allow anxiety or hate or division to separate you. You see, he's not looking, Jesus is not looking for the strongest or the best. That's how we think, that's what our intuitiveness tells us. He is the strongest and he is the best. And he's not looking for the, the wisest or the most cunning. He's, he is wisdom. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers, people who will do what he is calling them to do. He's looking for people who are willing to come together and surrender as one so that they can deliver the message, the hope, that Jesus Christ has. And in a world like this, it can be very, very easy for you and I to follow our intuition. After all, right? Our instincts helps us in so many different ways. And yet from time to time, Jesus would begin to teach principles and truths. And it would be counterintuitive because here's what he said. You know what, fellas? I'm gonna have to go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna suffer many things. Matter of fact, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna end up nailing me to a tree, and my life is gonna be taken. But then on the third day, I'm gonna rise again from the dead. And, and, and Peter's mind had to be going and spending and saying, no, 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 this is not the way it's supposed to happen. This is not the way it's supposed to happen. And so because he was going on his intuitiveness, here's what Peter said. Now listen, he's saying this to the one he just called as the Messiah of the world. Here's what he said. Peter took him aside, talking about Jesus, the one who he just declared was the Messiah, and began to what? Reprimand him. Some translations would say rebuke him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Why? Because he was going on his own intuitiveness, intuition. Peter thought, you know what? You're Lord. You're our leader. You're our king. You're going to set up your kingdom here on earth. You're going you're to make all the wrongs right. You're going to deal with Rome. Made sense to Peter. How about you? See, that's the way he was thinking. And yet Jesus was calling upon them to be counterintuitive, not to think as the world would think. And so Jesus' response to Peter is completely counterintuitive to the way in which Peter was thinking. Look what he says. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. <laughs> strong, strong words. You are a dangerous trap to me. See, listen, Peter was going on his intuition, and Jesus said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. See, God's ways are not our ways, and our ways are not God's ways. And so there has to be this counterintuitiveness that we're willing to embrace. You see, when Jesus steps in, however, in your life, in my life, many times, he throws intuition out the window 
And why does he do this? So that when you and I look back, we will come to one conclusion. And that conclusion is only God could have done this. Only God. And so Jesus' plan was counterintuitive. He was going to build a church, ecclesia, a group of people who he was going to be able to give authority and power to, to be able to rule and reign and influence and impact the world. You see, what, what happens so often is we misunderstand salvation, and it's so important that you and I understand salvation because it is so critically important because it's at the heart of God. You see, God saved us not for ourselves, he saved us for himself so that you and I could fulfill his purpose here on planet earth. And what is his purpose? Is that we bear his image and that we live and we work as followers, as agents of his kingdom to bring about hope and healing in a world. You see, what, what happens is so many of us, too many of us, let me say it that way. We think that salvation is all about dying and going to heaven. And just having that ticket and that heaven is the outcome of salvation. But I'm telling you, my friends, it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. It's not the why. God didn't save you for you. He saved you for himself. And you and I are chosen by God to proclaim that he is the light of the world, that he is the answer, and that he is the hope. You see, Jesus went on to say something else counterintuitive. He said this, you are the salt of the earth. Now he's talking to Jewish men. He says, you are the light of the world. You see, that was counterintuitive because their intuitiveness was this. We need to stay away from the world. We don't even want to be around those people. They don't believe like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. And so what he was saying to them was counterintuitive. You are saved for the purpose of living and working in a way that displays the power and the glory of God. You are saved so that God gets all the glory and all the praise because of how you and I conduct our lives, how you and I live out our life. And he's saying to them, you are the church. And their intuition was saying, no, 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 no. He said, no, you're the called out ones. You're ecclesia. And Jesus was saying, and guess what, fellas? The gates of hell will not prevail, much less Rome. And so here's my question for us today. In the midst of all the turmoil that we are experiencing, how do you think the church is doing? You might say, not good. Why? Well, I would say because we have too many fans and not enough followers. See, Jesus is not calling you to be a fan. Jesus is calling you and I to be a follower of him, one who's willing to do what he asks, one who's willing to say what he calls you and I to say and go where he calls you and I to go. Now, many of you know that I love football and uh, football is the ultimate team sport and there's no secret that one of my favorite football coaches is Urban Meyer and I, I'm just a a high state Buckeye. Somebody says, are you a Browns fan or Indians fan or, or a Cavs? No, I'm a Buckeye fan. And, and I was watching a show and they were interviewing Urban 
and, and he was asked about the NFL teams and why they struggle. And, and, and he says, you know what? He says, the NFL team has too many excuses. They make too many excuses. And, and, and he says, what happens is when a team starts to struggle, people start to blame the players and the coaches, not realizing that if they're in the NFL, every player is elite. Every coach is elite. And then he goes on to say these incredible words. He says, you know what? He says, every time I've had a team that struggled, it fell into one of three categories. And I realized that I could not afford myself to make excuses, that I had to get underneath the hood and I had to look at one of these three elements because it was probably the reason why my team was struggling. And he said, one would be trust issues. Trust issues. He said, you know what? If a team isn't working well, it's because of trust issues. Maybe the coaches don't trust the players or the players don't trust the coaches or they don't trust one another. Or he would say a dysfunctional work environment. That's where your, your expectations are here, but your work ethic is here. And so you have high ex expectations, but your work ethic, okay, must exceed or equate your expectations if it's going to be a healthy environment. And he would say many teams, they have a dysfunctional work environment because their expectations are here, but their willingness to do the hard stuff is here. And so it's unhealthy. Or he said selfishness, just plain old selfishness. And he said football is an unselfish sport because you gotta do the dirty work. You gotta do the things that most people don't recognize or applaud you for. And so when I heard him say that, something clicked in my spirit and, and I thought, you know what? I see this within the church today. The church today is making all kinds of excuses. We're being persecuted. Our rights are being violated. And yet Jesus told the disciples, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail that I'm gonna give you authority and power to rule and reign. I'm gonna give you the ability to influence and make an impact and a difference in your world. And yet I, I, I would agree that, you know what? The church is not winning like we should. And so what I wanna do is I want us to take a, a deeper look at each of these three specific things that Urban mentioned about a football team, but look at how they relate to the church today to you and me. So let's look at this, okay? Why the church struggles. First of all, trust issues. Trust issues. You know, trust is the currency of our spiritual life. You know, it's how you and I enter this relationship with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever what believes, trust in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. It began with trust. And so what happens is when we have trust issues with God, then what happens is we struggle. We struggle because he's asking us to do things that go against our intuition. And so trust issues. Matthew records an experience that Jesus had. Matter of fact, in his hometown, here's what he said. He, referring to Jesus, did not do many powerful works there because they did not put their trust in him. And so the reason why the church struggles at times is because we lack trust in God. We lack faith in God. And what is faith? What is trust? Believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. 
That's so important. And so I have to ask myself a question. You have to ask yourself a question. If you are a Christian, do I really trust God? And how do you know if you trust God? You trust God with your money. You trust God with your time. And so we have to ask, do I trust God? And then we have to ask, because it's a relationship, am I trustworthy? (laughs) You know, we always talk about, can I trust God? The question is, can God trust me? Can God trust you? You see, Jesus says this, and Luke records it. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. He goes on to say this, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, about possessions, about your your, your time and your treasure, okay, who will trust you with what? True riches. What is true riches? Having power and authority that comes from God to be able to live life and life to the fullest. And so we have to look at our trust issues. Do we trust God? Can God trust us? Do we trust one another? It's the currency of the church. It's how it operates. And then the second one is just dysfunctional environments. Dysfunctional environments. And and here's what I mean by that. Is you will hear things, and you've heard things from me, that you know what? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That you can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That you're more than conquerors. That if you seek God and his kingdom first, all of these other things will be added to you, that that you can be the head and not the tail, all of these different things. And so what happens is we hear that and our expectations, what? Rise to the top and we say, wow, I wanna live there. I wanna be there. But our willingness to develop a work ethic and effort are low. You see, our expectations are very, very, very high. But many times within the church, our effort, our training, okay, doesn't match our expectations. You see, what happens is we have to understand that spiritual growth is not automatic. It's not an automatic process. It's a discipline process. And being saved, accepting Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins does not magically produce spiritual growth in your life. In fact, you can get stuck in salvation. You can, quote, unquote, be a Christian, who doesn't grow, who doesn't develop. You can be saved and fail to grow and reach your potential. And that's not a good place to be. That's why our mission here at New Point is to lead people to realize and reach their full potential because we have this expectation and we want you to be able to reach that. You see, the most frustrating person that I know is not the person who doesn't know God. The person who knows God and yet has failed to grow in their relationship with him. That's the most frustrating person in the world because what happens is you hear principles and you hear truths that go against your intuition and you're living a frustrated life because you're you're wondering, God, this doesn't work. What's happened here? And you hear about all those things of God, but you don't experience them. You hear about the joy, the peace, the contentment but you don't experience it. You have the expectation for it, but the fact of the matter is you're not willing to put in the effort to do it. You know, it's like getting married. Getting married is easy. Would you agree with me? Getting saved is easy, but just like getting married is easy, it takes work and effort to stay married 
and to stay in love. And growth in the human soul requires a commitment to growth. A person, you and me, must make a conscious decision to grow. We must make an effort to grow. Scripture would say, make every effort to add to your faith. And so spiritual growth begins with a decision to grow. It doesn't have to be a complex decision. It just has to be sincere. God, I want to grow in my relationship with you and express that desire to to not be a fan, but to be a follower and begin that journey within your soul and make that decision and express that desire to follow him with all of your heart. And so we have to understand that. We have to realize that that you have to make that decision. You have to express that desire to follow him and begin this exciting journey, okay, of saying, you know what, Jesus? I don't want to just live by expectations. I want to fulfill them. You see, Paul told Timothy this. He said, train yourself to be godly. You see, you don't try to be godly. You don't try to reach your potential. You don't try to fulfill an expectation. You train yourself. I love this quote. It says, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And that is so true. Paul uses this as an example when he writes to the church in Corinth and he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, okay? Discipline. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it. We do it to get a crown that what? Will last forever. No, Listen, nowhere in scripture does it say, try. Read it, okay? Your, your intuition will say, I just need to try harder. No, we need to train. We need to train. And when we do, then what happens is when our training meets our expectation, then you know what? We'll live a life that is full and that is free and that is satisfying. And then the last one is this, selfishness. Why does the church struggle? Trust issues, dysfunctional environments, and selfishness. Wow. You see, all selfishness is sin, and all sin is selfishness. It's choosing to give in to something that you and I want, that serves us, but probably hurts other people. It's referred to your ego and my ego. And it's what comes natural to you and to me. It's what our intuition tells us what to do and is deeply rooted in every single one of us. You see, we're not meant to be trapped by our human tendencies, okay? No way, no way. We, we, we are meant to be able to overcome sin and to be able to deal with our own selfishness. And so don't be trapped by your human tendency. Don't allow that to happen. Follow Jesus with all of your heart. Decide that you're not gonna live for yourself. Decide that you're going to live for him. You see, we have to deal with our selfishness. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this, for where envy and self-seeking exist, check this out, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow. That's why we have to deal with our selfishness or we will always struggle. Every family will struggle. Every workplace will struggle. Every church will struggle because you and I can trace almost everything in your life and in my life and in the world 
back to one thing, selfishness. Just selfishness. You see, your selfishness and my selfishness is the most intuitive thing that we do. It's easy for me to be selfish. It's counterintuitive for me to be selfless. And so if you want to make a difference in the world, and we do, you start with how you can serve someone. That's counterintuitive. It'll be unnatural, but it'll be the most beneficial thing that you can do. You see, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, and it was counterintuitive, but it was so on the mark. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you do, what, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world yet lose your soul? You see, Jesus is calling you and I to follow him with all of our hearts. He's saying if you want to save your life, you need to lose your life. He's calling you from the sidelines, from me from the sidelines, to get into the arena. And the Bible calls you and I to do this, though it's counterintuitive. You see, when Jesus first met the disciples, you know what he said to them? Two simple words, follow me. And the Bible says at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. They were holding on to their nets. They were holding on to something, okay, that, that, that was intuitive to them. And Jesus was saying, let go of your nets. Let go of your career. Let go of your livelihood. Let go of your comfort. And Jesus called them to follow him. And when they did that, guess what? Everything changed. They experienced something totally totally different. They, ex they experience purpose and power in their life when they drop their nets. So let me ask you a question. What is your net? What are you still holding on? You see, what Jesus is calling you to will be counterintuitive to what you think, but it'll be the very best thing for you. So are you willing to lose your net to follow him? You say, Dwight, it just doesn't feel right. It's not familiar. It's not natural. No, it's counterintuitive because his ways are not our ways, but he invites us to follow him and trust him. Will you choose that today? Pray with me. God, we thank you today for who you are. And we realize and we acknowledge that you are God. You are God. You're all wise. You know everything. And your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And so just like you did 2,000 years ago when you called those 12 men and you taught them principles and truths that went against their intuitiveness and their intuition, even their gut, it went countercultural to everything that they had been brought up in in Judaism. And yet when they embraced it and they said, we will follow you, we will drop our nets, you know what they did? They turned their world upside down. They influenced their world. They brought about hope and healing to their world. And my prayer for me and my prayer for all of us today is that we would not settle for being a fan, 
just going on our own intuition, but that we would be a follower and be willing to embrace the counterintuitiveness that you invite us to so that we can reach our full potential in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God's moving through this series, visit newpoint.org forward slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, subscribe to our weekly podcasts through the App Store or Google Play, or catch us on Roku or Apple TV. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope you continue to realize and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ.